And look, he's, he's taken a beating physically. We know that we've, we've detailed that he had a tough year last year physically. The bulging dick in his disc in his back. The bulging disc in his back. Uh, he's probably going to need surgery again. Okay. Eventually. Eventually. He'll be gets that fixed. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the Combine is here. So, ladies and gentlemen, spark your engines. In honor of True Detective, we are drinking maybe Purple Haze from Treehouse Brewing. And with me this week, to defenestrate all of your takes, it's David Newman. David, do you know what defenestrate means? No. No. <laughs> No, I was going to put that out there. Yeah, I have no idea what that meant. And I was, I was too lazy to look it up. Your picture was pretty spot on, though. It was hilarious. Oh, that was the fir- that's the first thing that I think of pretty much any time uh, I come across that situation. There's like a word I don't understand. I think of that scene from 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's yeah. Perfect. Yeah, it's, uh, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. But all right, so True Detective, quick, give me your thoughts. Did you finish it? Go. Eh? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the right I mean, reaction. It's, I, I don't have a whole lot more. Like, it wasn't, I didn't think it was bad. Like, I don't necessarily regret spending that time on it but it wasn't like great in the long con of having such a shitty second season that you could have put out a steaming pile of dog poop and had it be better than season two season three was fine uh there were moments that were really good a lot the last episode was meandering probably could have cut 20 minutes wouldn't have mattered um but yeah overall it was all right It it was it was fine yeah it was fine it was an eight episode season that probably would have been better off as maybe a six episode season this is really what I'm so does say. that make like season two like should have been like a four episode season just season like, two should have been aborted should have yeah. been aborted i mean it uh, just it, it should not even have made a television uh it was it was a, a little bit like saying <laughs> dick instead of disc uh on the air on nfl network live that's that's great i hope he gets that fixed yep <laughs> Yeah, let's hope. So, uh, like uh, beyond the the actual slip there, like that's the best part is is Andrew Siciliano's face, uh, uh, like just the horror that comes across his face when that oh, happens, man. and then just like ah, uh, I I hope he gets that fixed. Yep, uh, you know what that means though. Uh, it's the Johnson rule, rule number one. So better rivals drinking uh, game. Got a drink. drink. Cheers. All right, so let's get to it. Uh, let's get to the rundown because uh, we actually got some um, minor news, I guess. Uh, of course, Kyle Shanahan had some availability this week at the Combine, and he said that the 49ers will indeed exercise the fifth-year option on one Mr. Eric Armstead. Uh, he, they will not try to renegotiate to lower his cap number. They will pay him $9 million to be what is effectively a starter or a rotational piece. Uh, and I know that we've kind of gone back and forth on that. Uh, you thought that they wouldn't bring him back. I thought they would, at least for the one-year deal. Um, and, and here we are. That he's he's a, a rotational piece at $9 million, um, which is a little pricey, but I get it. Yeah, it I, I think when we were talking about it, uh, I said that this would be the option that would be most surprising, that they brought him back for the option uh, as opposed to extending him and getting that cap number down. So, I mean, it shows you what I know there. But I, I think, like, uh, on the surface, it's fine. Like, I think it's yeah. totally good to bring back uh, what was probably pretty clearly your second best defensive lineman. Absolutely. And, uh, again, like the issue with Armstead uh, is never really been his level of play, right? When he's been out there, he's generally performed well. He hasn't been, uh, you know, a stud necessarily. Like he hasn't been a dominant player. And maybe, you know, some people still look at that being a first round pick and like feel like he's underwhelming, but he's been a good player when he's been out there. It's just been staying on the field. That's been the concern. And then this year he kind of finally did that. So uh, yeah, I think right now you probably need more than just this off season to transition kind of some pieces on the defensive line. And so I think bringing him back uh, is definitely a good thing. I think for me, this, this move makes a bit of sense because it is, it's a little bit like the same logic that you would apply to D Ford where D Ford, it's like, you know what? He had a one really good year. We don't know if that's the D Ford we're going to get moving forward. So let's tag him at a really pricey year and see what happens. And if it turns out that it was a one year wonder, you let him go. And that's that. If it turns out that he's actually going to be able to sustain that, fantastic let's sign him a big money deal i'm not saying that eric armstead's like d ford in terms of performance but the logic is yeah the high yeah the high end hasn't been there right exactly Um, but but the logic is is is, uh the same he finally played healthy and he had a pretty good year second best lineman on the team better run defender than he was a pass rusher but he was no slouch as a pass rusher definitely rotational in terms of pass rushing but he would he would help the team 
if he was able to sustain this level of production over a sustained period of time. So you franchise him, you see what he can do for one more year, and, and off you go. And I think that the Niners need depth on that defensive line, and it could really be a strength this year, uh, especially if they make some moves in, in the uh, free agent category or the draft. So I think yeah. it, it makes sense. Yeah, I think, uh, again, having like good defensive linemen is never going to be a bad thing. And if you can bring him back and, and have like a, a consistent role for him, even as a part-time player and a rotational piece, like that still has a lot of value. And we know that even if he doesn't, isn't looked at, you know, by the time they're finished adding pieces this off season as a starter, um, injuries happen. Like guys are going to go down. Like you want, that's yeah, an like area. Eric Armstead. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you want to have pieces that you can bring in there and, and be able to rely on. So, uh, yeah, I think hanging on to him for another year makes sense. I thought it was interesting to take a look at other players that were making around 9 million, uh, or will be making around 9 million in 2019. Michael Bennett, Cameron Wake, Jerry Hughes, Tyro, uh, Tyrone Crawford. Actually, these are what they were made in 2018 because uh, Cameron Wake, I think, is a free agent this year. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's the kind of... I, I don't know that Eric Armstead is at the level of any of those, at least in the effect on the pass game. Um, but, it, you know... And, and I think it's like... It, it sucks even, I think, talking about him in the realm of like other defensive ends because he's, he's yeah. just... He's not really... He's a, Truly a defensive end, right? He He is far more in terms of... Uh, skill set an interior player you know obviously he he plays out on the edge when they're in base situations but I think he's still a guy that that really is better on the interior you know one of many that they have that kind of fit that mold so yeah comparing him to guys like Michael Bennett and Jerry Hughes can't wake like it's not really an apples to apples thing so the 49ers uh, other news to come out of the the availability from Shanahan was that the 49ers will indeed change up their defensive line tactics in 2019 this was something that Matt Barrows alluded to when we had him on the show a few weeks ago but the the 49ers especially with new defensive line coach Chris Kasurik are going to employ more wide nine techniques on the defensive line. And so I think what Matt said also is that rather than trying to play run first, which is what Chris uh, or uh, Zagonia, Scanina, whatever, his, his real name is Scanina, but we're going to keep calling him Zagonia. <laughs> um, what Jeff Scanina, uh, what he really preached, what the Niners are going to do now, of course, is rush the passer first and then maybe stop the run on the way to, on the way to the quarterback, which is great. It's 2019. Let's do it. It's, it's exactly how it should be. Yeah, um, yeah I think... Uh, anything that you can do to make pass more of your focus in, in terms of what you're looking at defensively is, is only going to be better. Like uh, if anything, you want to entice teams into running because it's just less efficient, right? It's going to be worse for their offense in the long run. So uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I, there, there are a number of things and changes that we would like to see that we've talked about at length, you know, uh, in, in the past, the things that we want to see on the defensive line work differently uh, coming up next season. And so I think, yeah, this is what is hopefully the first of many changes. So for the uninitiated, what the hell is the wide nine and, and how does it help or hurt the the pass rushers, in, especially in the case of the 49ers? Um, so wide nine. So again, the number techniques are just kind of where defensive linemen are aligning relative to their offensive linemen. Wide nine, as it suggests, is just very wide. So all you're doing is is you're kicking your defensive ends out further away from the offensive tackle. So uh, usually nine refers to kind of like outside shade of the tight end. But if you imagine not having a tight end there, but still having that amount of space kind of between the tackle and, and the defensive end. Like that's really what they're getting at. It's just, we want to align them really wide uh, and kind of send them after the quarterback first, like you mentioned. And and it's something, uh, you know, that you're usually looking at is getting after the, they become a pass first player as opposed to a run first player. I mean, really what it does is it helps you, the angle at which you can get to the quarterback. And it puts you more on a straight shot to get there. Uh, and if you don't have a whole hell of a lot of bend, well, running in a straight line to where the quarterback is supposed to be should be a little easier than trying to bend around that, that defensive lineman. Um, it's something that's been employed by, I think, Jim Johnson with the Eagles was someone who made that super popular. But um, it's, it is used by the Seattle Seahawks. It's used by lots of teams at, at different points of the game. But it seems like the Niners are going to make that more a piece of their rotation when they start rushing the passer in 2019. I think, yeah, that but like hopefully what this indicates, um, the, the the most important takeaway that, that uh, I guess you could have from this, that if this is what they end up doing, I mean, obviously a lot remains to be seen. But what I'm hoping that this means is that they're going to actually, they plan on having real defensive ends this year. And a lot of the guys that they've been playing as defensive end, again, are, are really 
guys that are better interior players, but they've been playing out on the edge because, you know, that helps them in run defense and they don't have anybody else to put out there and all those reasons. So hopefully this means like, hey, we plan on having some guys that can actually rush the passer on the edge. We're going to take all of these interior players that we have and, and stop playing them out of position and play them on the inside, use more of a rotation and just kind of use guys in ways that fit their skills better. All right, so last story in the rundown is actually uh, kind of old news at this point, but uh, it is that friend of the pod, Zach Robinson, is now the quarterback's coach for the Los Angeles Rams. So congratulations to him. Dude, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, obviously, we had him on during uh, the preseason to kind of talk about quarterback play in general. Um, you know, I've had the opportunity to work with Zach throughout the season. He's been somebody who is... Uh, very, very helpful to me and in, in kind of my career, uh, which, which has been awesome. But I mean, he very clearly understands the pass game at a high level. Um, you know, I'm very interested to see what he does. I, like, I, I have all the confidence in the world that he's going to go in and do well. He's one of the only guy. I mean, maybe the only guy that can go in and say that he's seen every single pass attempt from every single quarterback, uh, not only in the NFL, but all the top draft prospects, yeah. um, you know, for the, the last couple of seasons. I mean, that was basically what he did for us was, uh, you know, he had kind of the final eyes on every single pass play. So looking at quarterback grades, coverage grades, receiver grades. Um, so he watched every single one of those, you know, preseason through the Super Bowl uh, and all through draft season on that stuff. So I think, yeah, it's it's very exciting to see him get an opportunity to go to the NFL and, and kind of start his coaching career. And um, it's going to be great to see what he does with that. So if you're interested to hear a bit more about Zach Robinson's thoughts on quarterback play, what he thinks about Jimmy Garoppolo and a couple of other fun tidbits, we did an interview with him last offseason. It was episode 240. Uh, it is up on our megaphone feed. So Take a look. I posted it a couple of days ago as well, so I might retweet that in case you're interested. But I think it's a good listen. Go back, and you can hear a little bit from the enemy, uh, unfiltered. Before yeah, it'll be fun. I mean, uh, now we're looking at not only is, is you know Niners-Rams, we got McVay-Shanahan there, and it's going to be hopefully be fun times once we get Garoppolo back in there and a lot of fun games. But, you know, at least for, for us at PFF, that's kind of become the PFF Bowl. I mean, we've now had two guys leave the company and, and go on to NFL jobs. One of them is Zach, and then the other one is Bobby Slowick for the 49ers, who now is going to be uh, transitioning to an offensive assistant, you know, from from the defensive quality control position that he's been at in the last couple seasons. So, yeah, it's just kind of pretty exciting to see, uh, you know, guys that we've worked with go on and be able to kind of get a chance to, to have NFL careers. That's right. So congrats again to Zach Robinson. Uh, I think super cool dude. Uh, hope you do terribly with the Rams. <laughs> All right, so I think that's most of the news that came out of the combine week thus far. I think tomorrow John Lynch speaks, but in terms of stuff that Shanahan said, that was mostly it. I mean, he said some other stuff about coaches and, and getting poached and whatnot, but nothing that, that merits uh, too much of a discussion. So let's get into the free agency preview because this is part two of our free agency preview, and it's going to be focused on offense and the offensive side of the football. So a recap, what the hell we're looking for we're focused on the positions identified in our roster evaluation model from last month. So last week, we went heavy on defense with an emphasis on secondary and edge. This week, we're looking at offense, and we're going to focus on pass catchers and guards. We're focused on Tier 2 and Tier 3 players. These are players we'd expect to come in and have an impact, whether that's in a short-term capacity or as foundational players, players that you're going to try to build your roster around. Right. So those are really the most important things, right? We, we do want to focus on players that we think can come in and, and make an impact. We're not going to spend time on guys. I mean, they're almost certainly going to need add to, to add bodies at various positions um, just because they need guys on the roster, right? We're not going to spend a lot of time on those players. So it's being able to come in and have an impact. And then also, most importantly with that, we want that impact to be in the passing game. So that's the area that we're going to be focused on with their game. You know, we want to see for these offensive players, obviously it's going to be what you're doing from the receiving standpoint, you know, as a pass catcher, what you're doing in pass protection as a guard um, on defense. You remember we talked about what you're doing in coverage, what you're doing rushing the passer. Like that is the most important aspect of the game right now. That's what helps your team win games. And so that's the area that we're going to be focused on most. Yeah, so we, we usually break things down into some cost buckets, but as you'll see when we get through some of these players, there there weren't enough to really break into cost buckets. So for, <laughs> There's for, one bucket for a lot of these guys, and it's not good. 
let's get to the the last bit, which is really fit matters. What the Niners ask of their players and their specific roles are going to be considerations when we're looking at the the players that we're going to target, and that especially is going to be the key for wide receiver and guard. So. That's really the, the high-level overview. Again, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I would very much recommend it because that's where we focus on defense. And really, in this free agent class, that's going to be where, hopefully, the Niners spend their money. And if you haven't listened to the roster evaluation model from last month, I would highly recommend going and tuning into that as well because that will help inform the discussion that we have here on these free agents. So uh, let's get into the pass catchers who separates from the pack. I'm full of puns today. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to... You know... I get like a half of an IPA in me, and it's just puns all around. I uh, see. Yeah, it's moved down like an eighth of that yeah, class. That's exactly right. right. Yeah. But before we Rolling. get into pass catchers, let's hear from our sponsors. Free agents. Overall, do we need any more bargaining players? Dude, these receivers are, are not great. I, I mean, I think... So we, we've kind of touched on this a little bit in... Uh, I think it was when we were actually looking at the current roster, right? In that... I, I, I'm not necessarily opposed to bringing in a receiver, right? It's not that they can't upgrade there. It's not that the guys that they have are so good that you're just like, nah, we're, we're not going to be looking for help here. But you, you want to make sure that you're actually bringing in guys, right, that are better than the pieces that you have in place, or at least uh, offer better value as well, right? It's not just being able to bring in a guy, but you're going to have to pay these free agents money. A lot of the 49ers receivers right now are young and on rookie deals and that. Uh, helps, right? Like that improves their value. And so if you can get the same production from a guy on his rookie deal as you're going to get from a guy that you're going to sign in free agency, like you're going to stick with that guy on the rookie deal. And so I think, yeah, when you look at the receivers in this free agent class, like the place you have to start is right now, I think the, the starting receivers going into this year as the roster currently stands is you're looking at Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin, and then either Trent Taylor, Richie James in the slot, right? And so you have to be looking at those three roles and what each of those players do and say, okay, is this guy, is this free agent that we might sign better at doing something than one of these guys existing on the roster? And overall, I think the complexion of the 49ers wide receiving unit, while I know the team feels like they need to add another pass catcher, I don't think it's in dire straits. This is not 2016 era 49ers wide receivers where you could basically just wipe them all out and it wouldn't matter. I do think that you've got a couple of tier two players in Goodwin and Pettis, and then you've got some developmental players on the roster that could turn out to be uh, some, some nice pieces that already fill their role very well. And so really what you're looking at here is you're looking at replacing a Z receiver and then maybe upgrading your slot and maybe getting a different type of deep threat, but it's not as pressing of a need as it was just a couple of years ago. When you're looking at that Z receiver, the the replacement for someone like a Pierre Garçon, you're looking at players like, and again, this list is not robust. You're looking at Des Bryant, Cody Latimer, and Demarius Thomas. When you look at Cody Latimer, he has maybe the size profile you want, but he doesn't separate all that well, and that's something that Shanahan covets. Um, just he's not very good if you look at his overall grade in 2018 his overall grade looks kind of okay I think it was like 70 but it was basically a ton of average a ton of nondescript games and then one bonkers game against Dallas where he scored he has like two one-handed receptions on fades from the slot uh, or fades from a short set I should say and and that's it other than that dude just hasn't been good his entire career he's been completely forgettable I think there's this like thing right now with 49ers, like maybe even more so than edge rusher. I mean, I don't know, not quite, but like 49ers fans right now just covet a big receiver, right? A big guy, uh, quote unquote, red zone threat, right? We need somebody who can catch jump balls. We need need someone to catch fades in the Uh, end zone because that goes well. Super high percentage, something that you should be doing in your offense all the time. It really Uh, as much as possible. I hate the fade. I Um, hate the fade almost as much as you hate Vance McDonald. Fade the fade, you know, (laughs) as, uh, as, as my guys, George and Eric on the PFF forecast would say, fade the fade. Um, it's really just not something that's that big of a need, right? So, I think the other thing that you really have to factor in there, right? It's not that those guys, that type of receiver doesn't have some value in the right fit, right? In the right place. You need quarterbacks though. I think generally you have quarterbacks that either are comfortable throwing those contested catches or they're not, right? They're guys that like to throw more to open receivers, you know, guys that are generating separation, like that's their comfort level throwing accurately into those type of windows as opposed to just saying, I'm going to throw this up and trust that my receiver is going to make a play. Some guys are great at that, right? I think... Uh, this is why I call Philip Rivers YOLO with the bolo, because he <laughs> throws the ball up to people he should not throw the ball up to, but he's got a lot of contested catch receivers, and they reward him for it. 
and that works well for San Diego. Still not going to call them LA. I think, yeah, 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 the other place you look at, right, is probably like Tampa Bay. Like Jameis uh, has never met a single pass that he didn't want to make. Like he's just like, <laughs> hell yes, let's do this over and over. Never made a pass he didn't want to make, whether it be on the football field or in an Uber. <laughs> Um, like, so dude, I, just tossing up to Mike Evans, right? So that's like a, a very good fit, right? You look at that style of quarterback who's willing to let it go, who's willing to push the ball downfield and is going to make, uh, honestly, some throws that he probably shouldn't make, but that's kind of a guy that you need in order to really take advantage of those contested catch receivers. Um, Jimmy's not that guy, or at least he has never shown the ability to be that guy. And so I, I think that when you combine that with the fact that Shanahan doesn't appear to like that guy and he really prefers receivers who can separate and get open like I I just like in general I'm very over the the big receiver the big cornerbacks like give me guys who can separate give me cornerbacks who can cover those guys who can separate right like it's that skill level that you really need I I think those positions right now in today's NFL as opposed to just the big bodies that you can throw passes up to it's just not an efficient way to move the football yeah and I think if you look at someone like Des Bryant he is a guy who feasts on the contested catch at this point in his career again not something that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to magically turn into right away Uh, he's also coming off of an Achilles injury that happened pretty late in the season Uh, so he's probably not going to be worth much of anything until much later in the year And, and then you look at someone like Demarius Thomas who I think has already shown pretty obvious signs of decline. And while he is 31, uh, roughly the age that we signed Pierre Garçon at, the way that he plays the game, I think at the similar point in his career, is not quite the same as where Garçon was. Garçon was better at separating, especially at the top of routes, compared to what Demarius Thomas does. And so I think overall, when you're looking at that, like the big wide receiver or, or the Z, there's, there's not a ton there. I think neither one of them would be an upgrade over the 49ers starting Z, which right now would be Dante Pettis. And the other small part of that, which we're not, you know, we'll we'll tackle this another time when we get to draft stuff, but if you are looking for that type of receiver, the draft is full of them, right? So there, there's a ton of those type of players there. Go get one of those guys there, on our, again, on a rookie deal. There's nobody that, that really fits that mold that's worthwhile bringing in this free agent class. So then you move to the slot, and now this is where things get a little bit more interesting because you've got players like Golden Tate, Adam Humphreys, and DeAnthony Thomas in, these, uh, in this general bucket. And I think Golden Tate's probably going to be closer to that top dollar bucket, even though his price is going to be depressed because of his age. You look at Adam Humphreys and DeAnthony Thomas. Adam Humphreys probably being the most proven of the bunch, DeAnthony Thomas being more of the the role player, but someone who could have a bit of upside. So I think the question with these players really is whether or not any of them are better than Trent Taylor and or Richie James. I think it it comes down to the value question really with them because so, so like Golden Tate for instance to me is is very clearly the best receiver available in this free agent class right now he is the best player in a vacuum, um, but again he's going to get he, I don't think he's going to get some outrageous deal by any means but he's going to get paid relatively well like he's he's not going to to be some uh, like at least it would be very surprising to me uh, if he got some sort of cheap free agent deal so. I, you you look at again is the production you're going to get out of him worth that additional cost from what you have with guys like Trent Taylor and Richie James and I think right now for the 49ers given uh, that that I think that position will be much better with Garoppolo back there I think we saw like the difference in Trent Taylor's play alone right with Garoppolo in the lineup and and without him is just such a stark difference I think he's just a quarterback that uh, likes those routes uh, that you get from those type of slot players like is much better at throwing those routes Um, and so I think you're gonna see those players have an uptick in value just by putting your quarterback back in the lineup and then of course you know everything that we've said about Shanahan over and over again and they're going to be able to scheme some guys open. And so those two things uh, taken into consideration, I just don't know that any of these guys are going to be worth the cost. Uh, I don't think the the production that they would bring is going to be so much more than what you're going to get from the guys that are already on the roster to justify that cost. Trent Taylor's total contract value, not what he's making in 2019. His total contract value is $2.6 million. He was a fifth round pick. So was Richie James. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say Richie James got to be right, right in that same ballpark. Right in that there. same ballpark, right? Which is going to be higher? The combined total contracts of Richie James and Trent Taylor or Golden Tate's first year on his new free agent deal? Oh, man. I got I to gotta think that 
Tate can at least pull in $5 million as a cap hit this year, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, I think, but, but, that, the but fact that just that goes to articulate. It, yeah. yeah, that just goes to articulate the fact that you have two players, both one of which is clearly, both of which are, are developmental, and, and but one of which has shown the ability to produce with a quarterback that can throw him the ball. And, and you get two of those players for effectively the price of one over the course of their careers as opposed to one year. Like that, that's the value judgment that we're making here, even though Golden Tate is a much better wide receiver, I think, than both of those players. Uh, I don't think that the difference in their performance merits the difference in salary. Right. And, and again, it's like the opportunity cost involved with that too, right? And so it's not even just comparing them to the other receivers, but it's like now I spend this money on Golden Tate and I can't spend that money on a defensive player, right? Where they need a ton of help. But we talked about last week, uh, you know, all the, the edge rushers and the safeties that are available in this class that can actually come in and help your team. Like that's less money you have to devote to those guys going out and getting what is likely a, a pretty marginal upgrade in production with Golden Tate or, or one of these. Other, I mean, there there are some other names there. You know, we're not going to get into all of them because I think it's the same story with really uh, w- with each of them. But it, there there are guys there, and I just don't think it's going to be worth the cost for this particular team. So when you get to the other class of wide receiver, then we're talking about deep threats. We're talking about Martavis Bryant from Oakland and Tyrell Williams of San Diego. Still not calling them LA. Uh, are any of these players? Are any of these players really? Uh, again, same question, right? Are they an upgrade over Marquise Goodwin? Are they? Are they an upgrade over the wide receivers that we have enough such that it merits bringing them in uh, and having them take a spot of someone who may already be on the roster? Yeah, and, and again, I think this goes to the like this is two levels. One, I don't think that they're better deep threats, even just kind of in a vacuum compared to Goodwin. Uh, they're different types, and I think it's a type that isn't is a good of a fit with Garoppolo because again, they they are more the bigger jump ball type downfield receivers, right? As opposed to uh, guys that are going to run by people, you know, you have some of those in those cl- this class as well. I think you have guys like John Brown guys like uh, Perriman probably fits more in that mold. Um, so there are, there are a couple guys there, but again, it, are you getting improvement over Goodwin? I think probably not. So overall, the wide receivers, especially in the free agent class, are not super exciting, and we're not sure that very many of them would be an upgrade over the current crop of wide receivers. And the one that would be, Golden Tate, would be probably so expensive such that you would have to get rid of you know, at least one of those players. And when you look at their combined contract value, it just makes sense to stick with what it is that you have uh, and maybe add your wide receiver through some other method, which brings us to, ding, 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 the trade market. Uh, because that's if you're going to get a wide receiver where you're probably going to get them, at least one that's going to add significant value to your team. So let's talk about the trade market for wide receivers, because now we get to talk about Antonio Brown, old dirty bastard, a.k.a. Odell Beckham Jr., uh, and one new entrant into the fold, one Mr. John Ross. So first off, let's talk. we've talked about Antonio Brown bits and pieces before, but let's kind of coalesce our thoughts around Antonio Brown. And I think the first question for Antonio Brown is, what's a fair trade for, for making this move for the 49ers, right? At what point do you say, you know what? Yes, that makes sense. I think it's, you're, you're looking in that mid round range, right? Uh, I think even, even a second round pick is probably, uh, you know, if you can get him for just that, that's probably enough to pull the trigger. Um, but it, it's, it's tough because I think, you know, it's not a sure thing that he's going to come in and fit. I mean, a Shanahan mentioned today that they haven't, reached out which you know again who who knows how truthful that is but i think in regards to like front offices and and teams being transparent with that sort of information like the 49ers have been among the more transparent so i i think that they've never really hid the fact that they're going after players or were interested in players in in the trade market before um but i i think even if you're putting that on the table right you're looking at that mid-round pick is really where it starts to be worth it i think for me first round picks are for quarterbacks. Like that's really the only thing that you're trading that they're just so Unless valuable you're trading for Jimmy G. You're right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> uh, again, who knows how that trade came together? Uh, can't wait for the 30 for 30 on that. But yeah, I think generally like if you're giving up most of the, the, the trades involving first round picks, uh, are going to be for quarterbacks, at least the trades that are smarter and, and potentially worth it, right? Because that's the only position that really has the impact on the field that can really justify that cost. I think even looking at other receivers, uh, e- even some of the top receivers in the class, it just doesn't make sense because there are so many good receivers and it's a, a position that's not like terribly hard to find good production from. So it just doesn't really justify giving one of your most valuable assets in those first round picks. So I think, yeah, when you look at that mid-round range, 
that's when you, I think you start to have to really take that seriously and, and be very interested. But anything more than that, you're, you're probably backing out. All right. So overall, would you say you are, yes or no, worried about his locker room contribution slash is it going to be an issue in the locker room? Are you worried about that at all? Um, I mean, it would probably be a lie to say I'm not worried about it at all. Uh, I think generally that's stuff that I don't pay as much attention to, right? I think you're having to trust a lot of like second, third, fourth hand sources and like people judging another man's character. Like, and you don't know any of these people. You don't, they're not necessarily the most like qualified to be judging the character of another person. Um, so I think it's just a lot of times that stuff all ends up being bullshit, but I, I think it would be silly to discount it entirely, right? There have been so many things that have kind of come up uh, in regards to off-field stuff with him that you probably have to at least consider it, and you're going to have to trust in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's ability to judge how that personality is going to fit within the locker room that they already have, and and that's basically as much as you can do is is trust that they have considered this and that they have a good enough feel for them uh, that they think that it's not going to he's not going to be a guy that comes in and ruins like what you have in this locker room already. Now, with Odell Beckham Jr., really, you've got a younger player, which is going to drive the price up. Um, and you've got a general lack of headaches, which is probably going to drive the price up. Because when you look at comparatively the, the headaches that you're going to get with each player, one of them manages to like kick kicking nets. Uh, or the the other is going to, you know, I don't know, cause locker room drama and get actual legal charges brought against him, which are much bigger concerns than, you know, having a hot head on the sideline. Right. Um, and so I think with Odell Beckham, the same question, what do you think would be a reasonable compensation package for trading for someone like Odell? Oh, I don't think that it is a package that exists. So like, I, I think that the giants have a price in mind that is too high that no other team is going to be willing to pay. Yeah. I'd say it's like, it's probably, it starts with the first round pick and For then, sure. and then you add something else. It, it's probably another, you know, second or third in the same year or another, you know, it, I mean, you're basically talking about damn near quarterback trade at that point. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think it's worth it. And so taking cost into account then, of the two players, knowing that Aldo Beckham is younger and more dynamic, less locker room headache, and Antonio Bryan is older, but would come at a reduced price because of all the other crap that we've mentioned, if you had to pull the trigger on one of the two trades, which would you prefer? Uh, if I had to, I'm, I'm going to go with Brown. Um, but I think the timing of this matters. And, uh, you know, not to not that this is going to be something that we discuss heavily here, but I think it just it adds into the trading down from two, right? If you trade down from two, you get likely an abundance of extra picks and it becomes much more feasible and, and much more uh, realistic for your team to be willing to give up those picks and not really hurt your long-term future. Because again, this is a team that needs a lot of pieces. They're not an Antonio Brown or Odell Beckham away from from being... Uh, you know, one of the top teams in the league, like they need a lot of help defensively. And, and so if all of a sudden though, you have a bunch of extra picks that you've acquired from trading down from two, because somebody wants to go up and get a quarterback, like then you can flip one of those for Antonio Brown. And it's just, you know, that that's, I think the, the clear benefit of trading down from two, whereas right now, if you're going to stick it to, and you're going to go with the picks that you have, and you give up that second round pick right now to get Antonio Brown before the draft, I, I think that's a tough situation that you're putting your team. Like, I, I don't know. It's it's still probably worthwhile because he is still a very, very good player. And I think yeah. that, you know, his game uh, isn't a, he's not a player that's going to, uh, that I'm worried about like falling off a cliff in the next year or two. Yeah. Right? I think like you can feel very confident that you're going to get high end level play for him from him, you know, for the next couple of seasons. And, and that's going to be worth that second overall, that second round pick, but it just makes so much more sense for your team overall. And, and in the long term, if you have some extra picks to deal with. Now, just for shits and giggles, because I'm interested, uh, you are offered a trade back. And in scenario number one, that trade back involves Jalen Ramsey. Uh, and in scenario two, it's a trade back with an indiscriminate team, but you get extra picks and Jalen Ramsey's not on the table, but you've got to use one of those picks for Antonio Brown. Uh, which way do you go? Man, we're really getting super hypothetical here. Uh, I mean, I'm going with Jalen Ramsey. This 100%. free agent class is not good on offense. We need time to kill, God damn it. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fair, fair point. Uh, I think no question you're, if the Jaguars are really that 
intent on getting rid of their best player, um, then sure, yeah, you're going to take Jalen Ramsey with you know whatever uh, else you can get, you know, by by having them move down uh, or having them move up. Uh, I think yeah, having a player of that caliber at cornerback is so much more helpful for your team. Whereas again, they, like the 49ers had a top five passing offense with Garoppolo in there, with Garoppolo and Shanahan. With, and a bunch of like receivers that aren't yeah you know, they're mostly what they have now maybe worse you know uh are, still very good. They, they were still like a top yeah. five passing offense in terms of efficiency um during those five games so like they don't need that guy the the Jalen Ramsey acquisition would absolutely help this team more than than an Odell Beckham or Antonio Brown would now the one player that I thought was interesting that has been recently rumored to be on the block is John Ross from Cincinnati the Bengals are allegedly shopping him and I can't imagine it would require a super high draft pick to prime away from Cincinnati in just two seasons with the Bengals well after of course posting the fastest 40 time in combine history at 4.22 seconds he appeared in just three games uh, and failed to catch a pass as a rookie in 2017. Year two was a little better. 21 receptions for 210 yards over 13 games. Uh, but he had seven touchdowns tied with Boyd for the highest on the team. Uh, and so overall, he's had kind of like a eh season. He's been largely disappointment in Cincinnati. But he's got first round tools. He was, of course, Dante Pettis's wide receiver mate at Washington. And, and when you look at what uh, what he has the physical tools to do, you think to yourself, well like fourth round pick fifth round pick maybe if if Cincinnati is like screw it we want everyone to have a fresh start uh, and I feel like that's the kind of move that could indeed help the Niners where it's like a low risk but you could get yourself a first round wide receiver that develops um, and I think that would be an interesting place to go if you're looking at a market where you can get wide receiver talent yeah I think I, I think it's interesting I think it's worth exploring for sure because I mean he was uh, you know, a player coming out uh, that had a lot of tools to work with, a lot of things to like about his game. It was, you know, obviously the speed is there, but there was more. The thing that's kind of separated him was there was more to that, right? Uh, he actually had some route running ability, had uh, the ability to run a more developed route tree as opposed to just, you know, kind of flying deep down the field. And and so I think there there are some interesting things there. I think, you know, even a fourth round pick is probably high. Like his value oh, totally is, agree. It's high. is so low right now. And and I think, you know, if they're just desperate to get rid of him and you can flip, you know, a late round pick, then by all means, you should be interested yeah. in that because it's just like, you know, again, a sixth, seventh rounder, fifth rounder, even maybe um, you're, you're just not going to likely find a player with his talent level, yep. um, you know, at that position. So, uh, but yeah, I think you look at some of the receivers, you know, I think what, I think Moss and uh, the Patriots got both Moss and Josh Gordon for, for fifth, fourth round. round picks, uh, fifth round it? pick. Gordon was a fifth. Gordon round was pick. a fifth. Yeah. So I mean, th- there are better receivers that have gotten with like at least some history of of production in the NFL um, that have gotten kind of that mid round pick range by the yep. time that they were traded. So I think you're looking at a guy that has basically done zero, you know, in his his time in the NFL so far, like. It's got to be pretty bargained. I think Golden uh, Tate was what, like a third or fourth round pick, something around there. Uh, And Golden Tate is easily like did more in his career and is a better wide receiver, at least at this point, than John Ross. So I think, but but to to I think if it were me, then if we're talking about a fifth or sixth round pick, hell yeah, I'm doing it. Yeah, I I mean, uh, yeah, if you can take and and it makes sense, right? Because they have uh, you know a new coaching staff coming in Cincinnati, like. Uh, it, it's absolutely a move where they're like, okay, maybe we just yeah. don't want to deal with it. And we're going to be willing to kind of just like, we just kind of want to get this guy out of here, get a fresh start, get some of our guys in. And if you have an opportunity, yeah, flip a late round pick for him. Um, why not? The Niners just got a, a six round compensatory pick, which can't be traded, but that means that they can trade their sixth round pick and still have a sixth round pick at the end of that round. Now, Joe Goodberry at The Athletic, he looked at wide receivers that caught zero passes their first season, kind of did like, a, okay, what what happens here with his career? Because on the one hand, if you're the pessimist and you say, look, John Ross is trash. The guy as a rookie did nothing. Uh, and it's not like, and he was drafted super high. He caught zero passes his first season. That puts him in an illustrious category of wide receivers like Tim Carter, Laquan Treadwell, Sonoris Moss, AJ Jenkins, <laughs> uh, and Jerome Simpson. But the flip side of that is that there are a few outliers from that list. Players that had zero catches their rookie year, 
that went on to have a serviceable NFL career. Josh Doxson, Vincent Jackson, Santana Moss, those types of players. Uh, Certainly not going to be in the Hall of Fame, but not absolute garbage either. The one thing that those players had in common was that in the second year, they contributed four or more touchdowns to their to their teams. And that means that they probably just got used. They were a part of the offense. And we know that touchdowns aren't necessarily stable year to year, but it just means that they were active in their offense. And, and so not to say that that's predictive, but that's where uh, John Ross was last year. Scored seven touchdowns. So if you're looking at like bright side, not bright side, uh, that's kind of where he lands. I think it's still worth the risk if you're talking about like a six round pick or later. Again, and that's kind of the point is that there's, basically zero risk involved with that type of move, right? You're bringing in a player who uh, was pretty much universally considered to be a first round talent just a couple seasons ago. And you're hoping that a change of scenery and a a very uh, pass friendly offense, right? That has been able to get production out of nearly any piece that you want to throw into it um, is just going to be beneficial for his skill set, and that you're going to be able to get more out of that. So I think, yeah, if that's, uh, available, you have to, you have to consider it for sure. You have to look into it. Um, and it probably makes more sense. Like, honestly, like I, I just don't think that Shanahan is a guy that is so infatuated with those top receivers that they're going to be willing to give up a, a lot of compensation for guys no, like agree. Brown and Beckham. Right. I yeah. think this is a deal that is, uh, more realistic for the team to make. Yeah, so unfortunately, the Bengals' director of player personnel, Duke Tobin, which, as a name, never trust a man with two first names. Or a fake title, for that matter. Uh, but Duke Tobin called this story fake news, uh, which I think is the first time I've heard someone in the NFL use that uh, as a descriptor of news, which makes me real happy about Duke Tobin. Uh, but but yeah, so he threw a bit of a, of cold water on this whole idea. It could just be them trying to make sure they don't bottom out the market for John Ross uh, and try to make it seem like they actually have some value for him. But if the NFL report is to be believed, John Ross is available, and I think that's someone that the Niners could get after. So overall, the free agent class, not great at wide receiver. Definitely a place where the Niners are going to maybe get more value out of the trade market. And if you're looking at a reasonable trade that's not going to break the bank, you're hoping Antonio Brown keeps riding that bleach blonde mustache into depressed value uh, or John Ross, John Ross becomes available. God, that mustache is so terrible. It's awful. It's like the world's worst milk mustache. It's terrible. <laughs> it's so awful. That it's makes like, it worse. God. Yeah. It's like he drank bleach and that's, and that was the result. <laughs> it's like, honestly, when your mustache is that color, you might as well drink bleach drink because bleach. that's the only outcome. Uh, let's talk about guards though, uh, because guard. Sure. Why not? Uh, yeah. Because the, the revolving door at right guard continues. Uh, and, and this is one area where there may be some cost buckets that we can break these free agents down into. And so let's start with the top dollar guard category. And the first and only player in this category is the shrug emoji. Because my question and the first question in this group is, yep. does the team value guard high enough to give anyone a top dollar deal? I think no. I think this was kind of a lesson that we learned last year, right? Like last season, um, there were actually guards uh, in this category that were very much worth paying and and that were quality players, right? And we talked a lot about them during these episodes last season. And then, of course, what did they do? They went out and got uh, Richburg instead, Western Richburg. And so that was where they decided to, to kind of devote their money on the interior. And I think that that kind of, you know, looking back on that after the fact, it was like, yeah, okay, this kind of makes sense giving Shanahan's history, right? They kind of value tackle play and then center play, which he views as a, you know, a, a very key piece to his run game. And so that's kind of the area on the offensive line that he's going to spend money. I don't think that they're going to be a team that spends big at guard. And so uh, I, I think that one, yeah, you're, you're unlikely to see the 49ers make that sort of move, but then two, there's not really a player like this isn't that same class, right? As last year where uh, there are those kind of top level players. I don't think there's anyone uh, that gets that kind of level of contract that you saw guys like Norwell and Josh Sitton get last season. Even Lincoln Tomlinson, who is like the, the story for the Niners. He is their poster child of reclaiming someone, getting them for a value for, I think a fifth round pick or whatever it was from Detroit and then rehabilitating him in you know the the rehab that is the 49ers offensive system and now he is a guard that makes four million a year which is not a lot i think when it comes to guards that mid-level or lower is the place they want to play 
and that's where they played historically at guard. Lakin Tomlinson was originally brought in for a fifth round pick. Definitely not someone that you would pay that you plan to pay a ton of money to. Uh, you think of Jonathan Cooper, another kind of mid level or bargain bin guy. Mike Person, mid level bargain bin guy. Brandon Fusco, mid level bar- or bargain bin guy. That's the area where the Niners want to play. And of the players in that area, we're looking at Quentin Spain, Mike Person, and Andy Levitre, who are in that kind of mid-level area where we think the Niners are going to play. First question I have for this category is really less so about the players that are available and more so about what the team has on the roster right now. Are you comfortable with Josh Garnett being your top option going into the season if the Niners don't sign another guard? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I think it, it would be very hard to be comfortable with that. I mean, um, while on one hand, you you know, he has some talent, right? I think there's there's a reason that you liked him in the first round to begin with. Um, as we've talked about, I, I think he is just a much better fit in another type of offense, right? Uh, he, he came from a scheme at Stanford that, well, yes, they do run zone. I mean, everybody pretty much runs at least some zone uh, at this point, but... They are a much more, you know, gap-oriented scheme. They're running power, counter, you know, those type of uh, of run plays. And so the type of blocks associated with those are going to be different. And I think he is very good at those type of blocks. And I think if you went to a system that utilized that type of stuff more, he might be very good, right? He might be a much better player uh, or at least have some value. But I think, one, yeah, he's struggled with those sort of, like, movement blocks, right? He hasn't had the sort of movement skills that you really like to see from guys in his own scheme. And then two, and again, far more importantly is, is he just struggles as a pass protector. Like that's been kind of his weak link, uh, the entire time. And that's not a great weak link to have. You would much rather have the guy, uh, that is better protecting the passer, right? Cause that's going to be the most important thing for you, uh, as an offensive lineman. But I think, yeah, if they're deciding that they want to roll the dice with, with Garnett going into the year, I think that's a bit concerning because while I don't know that you want, you need, you don't need to have, you know, a great or even like average player at every position, but you need to avoid a player that is terrible, right? Like if you have kind of that one really awful guy up front, like that can expose you, right? Because we'll call it the same Beatles rule, right? Exactly. Like you, you can have just one poor player and have that be enough to kind of screw up what you're doing, you know, even from a run game standpoint in in pass protection, obviously. Uh, So you want to avoid that, but as long as you can get to adequate, you're going to be fine. I just don't know that Garnett is that. So if you're thinking about movement blocks as being kind of the defining factor for the 49ers, and it seems like that's where they've tried to get to with their guards. They've gone to players that have been in the system before, like Mike Person, or they've tried to get players that they feel can make that kind of jump in the zone blocking scheme. Then the question is, which free agent guards are the best zone blockers? So I think that there's really three that you're looking at. And one, I think we forgot to list here, which is Roger Saffold uh, coming from the Rams. Um, then you have Andy Levitre coming from the Falcons and then Quentin Spain from Tennessee. Um, so I think those three players, when you look at what they've done blocking his own system, because I think while again, we're, we're more concerned with what they're doing as pass protectors, I think is to narrow the pool. The 49ers are going to, you know, they, they obviously are not, at a point where they're completely giving up on the run game and don't care. About and that they value, I mean, you, you hear about Kyle Shanahan and it's not just lip service for him. He does believe in the foundation that is the run game and the run game and the zone run game specifically helps key his passing game. Right. Like the zone action is, you know, what makes the play action game um, with, with his system so effective. And so I think, yeah, they, they are going to identify players that can zone block well. And so I think when you focus in on that to kind of narrow your pool a little bit, it's really those three guys are, are the ones that stand out as players who have excelled well on those type of blocks. So I think you, you have Saffold and Levitre coming from basically the exact same scheme, right? Levitre coming from Atlanta, um, Saffold running, you know, McVeigh's scheme last year. Those guys both are a little bit older. And so I think you're hoping that, you know, maybe you can get some value there. Yeah. So I think the additional question here would be, is someone like Levitre who's getting up there into his thirties? I think he's like 32 or 33. Yeah. Um, 33. I think yeah. uh, he, is he hitting an age wall? Cause he's also coming off of injury. And is that, is that double-edged sword something you want to play with, right? Double-edged meaning you could get some value there because he's coming off injury and he's a little older, but he's also coming off injury and he's a little older. Right. I, I think I'm less worried about injury. His, like, so his injury was like a triceps injury. So I don't think that that's like, it's not something that's going to impact his mobility or, or anything like that. And 
prior to injury, he was still playing well, right? So you look at his 2017 season, um, was still graded basically about where he's been at for most of his career, which is kind of like a slightly above average player. And so I think you're uh, not seeing really as many signs of decline, and I'm not terribly concerned about the injury. And I think offensive line is a position where you can play a little bit older, right? Like 33, you can still be very serviceable at that age and, and be fine. So I think Saffold's a little bit younger than that. I think you have some similar concerns from an age standpoint with him. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yeah, it really depends, like it so often does with free agency, what does it cost, right? Yeah, and I think Saffold's going to be a bit more expensive than someone like Levitre, um, in part because he's coming off of a very, very good season yep. for a guard, but also because he's got. I think he's going to have the Los Angeles shine on him as well. Uh, yep. And I think he's going to be one of the. He's going to be in that Josh Sitton realm because Sitton last year was a little older. He was in his thirties as well, and he got a pretty decent sized contract, but it was still a shortened contract. Um, and I think that's probably what Saffold will end up with. So if you're looking for value, which is where the Niners want to play, it's going to be more of the Levitre or maybe even Mike Person. And I think that's the the one of the last questions for me in this category is why not Mike Person? He played a fairly decent OK season, right? You're talking about not needing super average or, or super phenomenal guard play. Yeah. I would say he was an average guard. He was a much better pass blocker than he was a run blocker. I think if the Niners are not looking to resign him, that's more than likely why. Because as a zone blocker, he was not great, even though he was a, a decent enough pass protector. But the offensive line wasn't terrible, especially when they got decent quarterback play. And what are you going to get next year? you're going to get a quarterback who can actually make his offensive line a little better. Uh, so why not take another mid-year flyer and, and go with Mike Person again? I mean, I think that would be okay. I think he's uh, pretty clearly would like be the cheapest of this group. So I think that certainly factors into it. And and again, yeah, I think you feel comfortable that he's okay, right? Like he he wasn't great. Like he's by far the weakest player on that offensive line, the weakest of the five, right? Yes. Um, but yeah, he's, I think above, but we've had much weaker, (laughs) yeah, but we've had much weaker pass protection at that guard spot, I guess is is kind of the point too. And, and the thing is, is he, he, to me was an above average pass blocker overall. Um, and, and that is enough that at the cost that he would come at, um, I think it's great. And I mean, he, even though he wasn't a great zone run blocker, he was, uh, he didn't really hurt the overall offensive line run game production. If anything, it got a little better this year um, and and especially could run both to the left and right. That was in large part, I'm sure, because of Mike McGlinchey. But it's like, if it's going to be cheap as all holy get out, yeah. why not roll with it? Because I, I while Quentin Spain would be a great addition, he's 28. He's the youngest of the group. Um, I also think that he, you know, he would probably not cost an exorbitant amount of money. Um, and he would be someone that could be with the team for like three, four, five years. Yeah. But if you're not going to be able to get someone like Quentin Spain, I think you maybe sign someone like Person, you see if you can get some competition with Garnett, and then you draft someone and call it a day. I think where Spain goes, or how much he gets will be interesting, because he's kind of actually coming off more of a down season. I mean, it looks like things in Tennessee didn't go super well in general, but when you look at his career so far, so he's just kind of coming off of his rookie contract. He's been very consistent as a pass protector. So he's always graded pretty well, been in kind of that mid to upper 70s range for us in terms of pass blocking. Um, It's the run blocking grade that's fluctuated a bit more, but he's always been a better zone blocker than a gap scheme blocker. Every single year of his career, he's graded out better on those type of runs by a pretty significant margin. And I think you look last year, you see his overall uh, run blocking grade was like down in the 50s but it was almost all because of what he did on gap scheme runs. So he's been a much better zone blocker. So I think that's potentially a guy that, you know, who knows what the market's going to be like. And I think, you know, you're probably right. He's one of the younger guys. So maybe that's enough to get him, uh, you know, a, a little bit bigger deal. But if, if kind of he doesn't find much of a market there because people are thinking that he's coming off kind of a down year and I mean, he's an undrafted guy, so he doesn't have that big pedigree, right? that gets you kind of those automatic second chances. If his value starts to fall a little bit, I think he is a player that the Niners could maybe look at like, look, he's better at what we want him to do. And so maybe we can kind of bring him in at a value. And I think something like that would make sense if that's the way it falls. But yeah, I I think this isn't a position while there are a couple of good options there that they could go after. I don't think that they should feel the need to go and, and get one of these top guys and kind of spend more than they need to at this position. They have 
the players in place that they want at kind of the key positions along the offensive line as Shanahan sees it. And I think that that money would largely be better spent elsewhere. Yeah, so then we get to the bargain bin, and we've got uh, a couple of players that I really hope the Niners go after. Jonathan Cooper, <laughs> Mikey Potty. I think these are these are the players that I, you know, the boomerangs, if you will. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but, sure. Good. Yeah, no, Jonathan Cooper, uh, been there, done that. Don't want to ride that bicycle twice. Uh, and Mikey Potty uh, is old and better fit for gaps. Is Josh Garnett if you were good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's basically... <laughs> If, if Josh Garnett, if he actually had some value at the moment. Jesus. Wow. All right. Didn't mean this to be a Josh Garnett evisceration, but sure, why not? Hey, hopefully, you know, I, 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 I've been told by all of the beat writers that he's like remade his body. Um, and yes, that's he, exactly right. Uh, has completely reworked everything that was working against him for, yeah. you know, 20 plus years. He, he played all right in like the 60 or so snaps no, that he got at the, end of the, at, no, the, at the end of the year. He played Stop fine. Stop lying. He's not good he, right I'm now. I'm not saying he's good. I'm saying he played fine in a super small sample size when he wasn't injured because he got injured again uh i think that's probably my biggest worry with him is that like he got he's he's another guy where like you know your best ability is the ability to be on the goddamn field um and And that has been non-existent no non-existent for him at all so i think overall when you're looking at free agent additions on the offensive side of the ball the the things are not looking promising the the biggest most exciting area for the 49ers to add talent is probably going to be in that trade market if they can get value for someone like John Ross. But overall, tight ends, we haven't even... Actually, we forgot to cover tight ends because it's basically Jared that Cook. That tells you everything you need to know about tight ends, yeah, by t- the way. Yeah, tight ends. The people we had listed to cover were Jared Cook uh, and Levine Toilolo, which and, and Toilolo because he played for a couple of years in Shanahan in 2015 and 2016. Relatively good pass blocker. Didn't distinguish himself all too much. Uh, and Jared Cook... It's like, why are you going to spend money there if you've got George Kittle? I mean, I think if you're going to, which again, yeah, I wouldn't spend money to do this, but I think uh, if, if you're trying to say like, okay, why would they add a tight end? I think the tight end that they need is another pass catcher, right? Like uh, Kittle is is kind of your do everything guy. He's great at uh, obviously uh, in the receiving game. He's great as a blocker, and, and so you don't really tip your hand with him on the field from a run pass standpoint. I think what they could use is you know another guy that can be a receiving threat because they don't really have that at that position. Um, Are you telling me Ross Dwelly is not a receiving threat? I might be. Yeah, uh, that that he, sounds right. I forgot between Cole Wick and Ross Dwelly, we cut one of them because he like dropped a pass or something. I, let me, I'll Man, look it I should up. cut both of them. They have stupid names for one. My favorite um, was when we played uh, what, like Harry Potter character or 49er. <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty uh, sure Ross Dwelly was And it one was of them. all tight ends. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell was going on there? That was, yeah, I'm just a look. bunch of strange decisions. I'm going to look uh, this up. Yeah, so I, I think that's what you're looking at. You know, even if they were to, to add a tight end in the draft, like that's the guy I would expect them to add. And like, let's be real, nobody gives a shit about the run blocker that you're going to add to come in there for like 10 snaps or less a game. Like, uh, it, it's just not a, a, a position that matters um, if you're looking at it purely kind of a blocking specialist. Um, so Colwick was the guy we cut. He's now with Tennessee. Cool. And Ross Dwelly is the guy that we kept. We'll soon be with Tennessee or some other team. Yeah, and Ross Dwelly, uh, week 15, week 16, week 17. One reception, six yards against Los Angeles. Cool. Cool story, Ross. Cool Um, Cool story, bro. Uh, But but yeah, yeah. so I think that's, like, again, I don't expect them to go after Jared Cook, but if if you're trying to make an argument for why they would look that direction, like, that's it, is that you could just use another, like... That's maybe their best option to upgrade, you know, uh, as a, a, a receiving threat, right? Yeah. That's kind of the area that maybe you could go after that to improve. But you're already looking at, you know, you're bringing in Jarek McKinnon uh, yeah. off injury, hopefully. Like, uh, again, I think you look to the draft for, for some of this stuff if you're going to be looking for anything uh, else offensively. But, yeah, there's not a whole lot there to look at at tight end. Yeah, I think if you're looking to add a player, you're looking to add someone like a Toy Lolo who takes that third tight end spot. Because I, I don't know that any of the players that were kind of on that free agent list are, are a ton better than someone like Garrett Selleck. And that's not to say that Garrett Selleck is a fantastic tight end. He's got issues just about everywhere, right? Uh, and, and he's and he's a fun. He's got issues. Full stop. Yeah, and and he's a fun he's a fun player because you know he's kind of woven himself into the fabric of the sure. team with Selleck time, right? Yeah. Which I think is fun. It's great. Yep. It's one of the drinking game rules. Chug your beer when it's Selleck time. It's great. I love it. But but overall, I think that you know he he's 
the 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 fact that the tight ends in free agency are not like yeah that guy's better obviously better than Garrett Selleck and is worth the money yeah. should tell you what you need to know that the guys like Toilolo are very much the dipping into the they're not going to like these are the guys we were trying to say that we weren't focused on like yeah, yeah sure if they add somebody like that like fine who cares like it's not going to be any sort of impact on how well they perform this yeah. season. Yeah, you've got yeah, Jesse James, uh, Nick Boyle, Max Williams, Tyler Eifert, RIP his injury history. Um, yeah, it's just... it's. Yeah, not- I mean, Eifert, I guess, if you want to bring up... I mean, I think all the same things that we talked... We, we brought him up last year. Um, yeah, and I nothing's think, changed. Yeah, he's in the exact same situation, except for I guess he's had another year where he ended up on IR on injured, yeah. and, and was unavailable. Which honestly would disqualify at this point would disqualify. Him I think it's, me. yeah, I think it's just tough to trust that you're going to yeah. get anything from him at all. Like yeah. even, even he's like far and away the most talented player available, but you just can't count yep. on getting anything from him. All right. So I think that does it for our free agency preview on offense. It was not great, not nearly as fun as the defensive preview, but uh, you know, we do them because we have to. Uh, we're contractually obligated, obligated yep. to do so at this I would point. have skipped this one. Yeah. Uh, we're just go straight to the draft. Yeah. Just let's talk about like, spark scores. Yeah. Combine coming up. Yeah. So I think, I mean, what we're, we're looking at next week. Combine will be over. Yeah. Um, so we'll do a combine wrap up next week. And then we'll also just talk about general strategy, kind of coalesce everything and what it is that yeah. we want to do. Uh, Which and- should be, if you've listened to both episodes, pretty obvious there, there yeah. are going to be no surprises in yeah but we'll, we'll we'll key in on a couple of players and we'll key in on just like firm strategy what it is that we think would we what our offseason plan would be in free agency what we would target in the draft we should and also then, know if uh any of these guys are getting tagged i believe the exactly. franchise tag deadline is like the day before we're set to record um you know maybe we'll have some more news coming out of this combine uh, as far as guys getting extended or or anything like that so yep. Hopefully have a, a, a firmer picture of who's actually going to be available once free agency opens. And then that'll set the map for the draft because that will then give us an idea of what positions we hope to target in the draft, who we're going to scout, what we're going to spend some time on, uh, and, and we'll go from there. So that's going to be the next couple of weeks uh, overall. So thanks again for tuning in. You can always shoot any questions, thoughts, or items you have to us on Twitter. You can get me at Better Rivals. David, where can they get you? That'll be at PFF underscore David. Absolutely. So thanks again for tuning in to the second part of our three-part free agency preview. And as always, go Niners.